Welcome to the Kingdom Casts podcast for the week of June 26, 2019. Albert and I review this week's books, discuss a few rumors, and a few other things as well. There will be spoilers for this week's books, so if you prefer to read your books spoiler-free, wait until after you've read them to listen to the podcast. If you're okay with spoilers, go right ahead. Listen to the podcast. Let us ruin it all for you. I'm Stan Daniel. With me, as always, is Albert Marsh. So, Albert, J.J. Abrams' son writing Spider-Man. I guess that's one way to get a job. That's kind of mean. No, we don't. We don't know. He could have. I don't know, man. Here, I've been looking for a job this whole month, and I found nothing yet. (laughs) He just shows up like I'm J.J. Abrams' son. Give me a job. Well, no, wait a minute. I'm I'm not fully up on it other than I know that that's what the Spider-Man countdown was for. The announcement that uh, J.J. Abrams' son is writing it. Is J.J. writing it with him? Maybe some scratch notes on a napkin at most. I mean, it's his son, but they'll push J.J. Abrams way more than they will his son. Well, naturally. But I mean, they want to, this is kind of synergy going here. And when I heard that, I thought, well, okay, I, I can see J.J. and Marvel teaming up. And then I got to thinking about it. I thought, wait a minute, J.J.'s affiliated with Lucasfilm through Disney. He's not done anything for Marvel, has he? No, nothing. No, I I mean, you know, he's so he's he's part of the Mouse House, but not that division of the Mouse House. Correct. All right. Well, I mean, this could turn out well. I mean, Stanley Leibowitz was also it, that was also a nepotistic situation with Stan Lee. Yeah, you know, was, didn't his, well, yeah, but on some of that, I mean, there is a, a difference between what you had the availability to pull from back then as far as talent goes based on what you could pull from now as far as talent goes. There's there's no shortage of, of known people with real talent that want to do this that would not want to write Spider-Man. I don't know. I've read a couple of the comic books this week, and I, I could make a case against that statement. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, there's different levels of talent out there. This could. I mean, they used to pull people from letters, letters pages, and give them jobs and stuff. You know, like they just sort of had to get it where they could to an extent. You know, decades and decades and decades back, because you didn't have the people that were growing up. You didn't have the people that were growing up on it were were only like one real generation in the comic books at that point. So, like, you you know, where did you get talent from back then? So, like, well, I know a guy. Give give it to him, I guess. Well, okay, I got a I got a question for you then. Do you think saying, given your stance on this situation, that do we really need J.J. Abrams' son writing a Spider-Man comic? Would you rather have that if you and Marvel's got the choice; they can do as much or as little as they want. But would you rather have? Would you rather roll the dice with J.J. Abrams' son on Spider-Man or a say Chris Bowers' pitch for Namor the Submariner? Either way, it don't matter who's writing Spider-Man, you're going to give Spider-Man the priority over Namor, no matter what. Yeah, but I'm asking you personally, what would you rather see? What do you think would be more interesting? Uh, probably, me personally, would be Namor, because we don't we, we got enough Spider-Man books right now, we don't need any more. Yeah, I mean, we got Friendly, we got Amazing, and this is, but the J.J. Abrams and uh, his son, that book is not an ongoing, that's a limited series, is it not? Yeah, I mean, we, yeah. We've, yeah, we've already got several miniseries that are real good to miniseries. So. Well, you and I have a mutual friend that had 
spoke to Chris Bowers at a convention race recently, and she had asked him, guess, guess who the friend is when I tell you this, she had asked him about Namor, and he said he had pitched it to Marvel, and they said they weren't really interested in, in Namor at the moment. Yeah, I know, I, I know who it is, but I, at the same time, it's like, eh, I mean, I don't, I don't think Marvel knows what to do with any book that's not in a an A level book is what it amounts to. Somebody that they know they're going to make money off yeah. of, no matter what, right out of the gate. Yeah, I mean, you you can I, stick you can stick all the variant covers in the world on Namor number one. At the end of the day, it's a Namor comic, and like by issue three, there there ain't going to be nobody reading that book by issue three. At least well, not many. At least not many people. There's there's one person that would be reading it, yeah, and I mean, she I would, would in turn make yeah. us read it. But yeah, and there's several people. I mean, but I don't think that even Invaders, which is a real good book, you know, after a few issues, it just sort of dropped off. So Invaders, are, are you still reading Invaders? Because we Invaders came out. The last release date for Invaders was the first week we did the podcast, and you and I completely overlooked it. Yeah, I was going to wait. Usually what I'll do sometimes if I don't read something the week it comes out, I will wait till the following issue and just read them both at the same time. Yeah, and get caught up. That's what I yeah. was going to do with it, too. I, I just completely overlooked Invaders. Of course, we had a few other things on our mind that week. You know, I go back to the Batman situation in the 80s. Batman was not selling well, comic book-wise, until Frank Miller Dark Knight hit. And that, you know, and now Batman is the tentpole of the comic books. Yeah. I mean, he there are more bat books and bat family books out there than you, you know than there are X books or than there are Well, you can you can almost gauge the industry over Batman sales. Yeah. If Batman's selling really really well, then usually you know a lot of other books regardless of the company are doing well as doing good as well. Like there's a there's a tier there on sales. Yeah. As long as if Batman's always selling, if Batman's going to always be a high seller, then it sort of trickles down to an extent on that. Yeah. I, I'm just saying that you don't know where the next hit is going to come from. Namor could be the next big thing or a relatively big thing if the story's right and it hits at the right time. Uh, Batman had more going for him than that, even beforehand. He was universally known outside of comic books. It's, Batman has a car. <laughs> that and that's what it comes down to. That's why Batman regard you know regard <laughs> like well even look even look at this. Iron Man has gotten to where he's one multi billion dollar character. Yeah. And all this stuff at the end of the day, he's not cooler than Batman because Batman's got a cool car. And who doesn't want a cool car? So so that's what it boils down to. <laughs> even even hippies want cool cars, you know. So if we like put wheels on a giant clamshell and a seat and a steering wheel in it we submariner could make a go of it no because it's not the batmobile <laughs> like the batmobile is ingrained beyond pop culture and comic book culture it's almost the batmobile is practically part of american culture at this or western culture at this point like there is no cooler car than the batmobile not so even. in turn there's no cooler character than batman not not even Kit from Knight Rider. <laughs> not even not even Michael Knight. <laughs> so Batman has a car and that's why Batman is popular. <laughs> that's that's exactly what it amounts to. Okay. Well 
All right. Well, now it's your call because we were going to go right from this into Batman Damned since you gave us a good segue, but you've kind of, you've kind of dichotomized that. And so now you have a choice. Are we going to talk about Batman Damned or are we going to talk about Transformers? And well, the you know, Bat- Batman Damned, it, it didn't really do too much for me. You know what? Ain't no Batmobile in that book. <laughs> no, no, there's not. <laughs> they had something else though in issue one. Yeah, and this also seems like this is like like book one was the Joker hardcover or graphic yeah. novel they did, and yeah. this is book two, so we're supposed to get a book three out of this thing eventually. So, but this is not continuity. Please, God, tell me it's not. No, it's it's sort of like how sort of Frank Miller has his own Batman continuity he can fiddle with. Yeah, that's fine. Like Azarello Azarel has his own little Batman continuity he can fiddle with. Well, that's that's fine by me, and if you like this book, that's great. I didn't particularly care for it. Do we really need supernatural elements to Batman's origin? I don't think we do. Uh, the art, everybody, I I didn't. I'm not a big fan of the art. He's quite good. He's got it down. Uh, I just I've, don't like the faces and all. Uh, Zatanna, uh, Zatanna's opening scene there. Where she's got the top hat on, her face looks really distorted under that top hat when you look yeah. at it. Don't stare at it too long. I I just, I don't think the supernatural needs to play into Batman too terribly much. And if it does, we need to have an out on it real quick. We need to know where we're going with it well, and the, how we pull Batman out of it. Well, the plot and everything, I, I, the, the plot was fine. I liked the plot. It was just the writing was so heavy handed. It just really was just overly too much. I think this was more of a, it read more like John Constantine guest starring Batman to me. Yeah. I mean, it really did. This was, he was the cool character. He got away with the better lines. He was the one that had his act together and moved through this. I just was not really big on it. This was a little too dark for me. I I have no real opinion on the um, controversy, if you even want to call it controversy, over issue number one. It's just art. You and I both looked at the artist book that they sent out a few weeks before then, and it's in there, and neither one of us caught it. Uh, We wouldn't have caught it unless it was pointed out to us by the internet. Was was it in the preview book? I think it was. I'm fairly certain it was. As a matter of fact, I got the preview book right here. Yeah, it did have it in it. Had the exact same thing. I mean, there's no words in that preview. It was just preview of the art. You and I completely looked through that book and neither one of us caught it. This is just, it's just art. And this is not meant for kids anyway. There's no way I was letting a kid under 16 come in there, whether or not there was nudity in it, and purchase this book without their parents' permission. Yeah. Also, am I right in this Thomas Wayne hat? Well, of course I'm right. Uh, Not, of course I'm right. But I recall Thomas Wayne had an affair in this. Is this correct? Yeah, and I think like an issue one, he was like picking up a hooker with Bruce with him or something. Yeah, I don't, like that, that seemed to be a thing that didn't go anywhere. Well, it's at the end of it in the issue three, you've got that uh, don't start Martha sort of situation implying they have an unhappy marriage. I don't think any of that is something that Batman readers need to know. I understand we've got Thomas Wayne running or an alternate universe, Thomas Wayne running around in the mainstream Batman book right now, but has to, has to Thomas and Martha's relationship, whether or not they had a happy marriage or sad marriage. I think that should only be delved with through the point of view of Bruce Wayne who idealizes them. Yeah. I mean, otherwise, what's what's the point? You know, my parents are dead. You know, he he was cheating on mom. Mom was miserable. Blah 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 blah. It takes away from the punch of being Batman. Yeah, I, I just 
I just don't go in for these unnecessary character dynamics to add what somebody thinks is a, another layer of maturity to a book. That, that's not maturity. That's diminishing a character, whether or not it's canon, whether or not it's continuity, and this is not. And again, I just think that this was more Constantine's book than it was Batman's. Well, yeah, that when you change a character like that, it needs to, it needs to lead to something. You know, we need to have some payoff of that. Yeah. And it, and it wasn't. It was just a couple of scenes of Thomas being a jerk, and then they get shot, and that's that. <laughs> I mean, yeah. That's that's all there is to it. It's over. I understand the black label is going to continue. There wasn't nearly the fallout that was being speculated on when this book first came out and had the nudity in it, and the Warner Brothers executives uh, had not been notified, and so on and so forth. I, I can't think of one person I've heard of that's been fired over this, and we know the black label is now officially continuing. Yeah. yeah so we've got four or five black labels coming up. Yeah. All right, well, moving on this week, because it was a pretty big week, let's go on to the second comic book, Transformers Ghostbusters. You said you read that? I did read that. That was that was a lot better book than I was expecting to tell you. The truth. Shocked shocked the snot out of me i mean i was reading it and i was like okay this is this is going to be the one we make fun of <laughs> yeah but good it, it was like a good story the art was really good in it 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 makes no ands ifs or buts about it it puts you in an alternate animated reality they're drawn like they're drawn in generation one so far as the transformers are concerned and there's enough animation to the ghostbusters in it that you know you can give or take is this movie universe or is this uh the real ghostbuster universe it, it yeah it seems to be maybe more of a I guess more of a movie hybrid. That, yeah, I guess that's sort of the des- designs for the Ghostbusters, maybe IDW sort of base design that they use in most of their books, I guess. Well, they capture, the writer is really, uh, does a really wonderful job on it. He captures, easily captures the voice of all of these characters, which yeah. is not necessarily yeah. something that's easy to do. Like every, but, all the Transformers, when they talk, they're those characters. And when the Ghostbusters call, you're getting those characters, you know? That's exactly. And it's actually, Starscream is great in this. It's actually absolutely hilarious what happens in the first four or five pages of this book. The writer is Eric Burnham on it. Uh, the artist is Dan Schlonig. And it was really, really good book. If you're either a Transformers or Ghostbusters fan and don't take yourself too seriously on either of them, I was I was very pleasantly survi- uh, surprised by this book. Very pleasantly surprised. It was funny. Mm-hmm. It was easy to get into. Yes, it's a push to sell the Ecto-1 Transformer that's coming out, but heck... <laughs> If that's the cost of admission, I'll buy the toy to yeah. continue reading this book. It was a really good start to it. Mm-hmm. And the fact that it's not going to go on forever, you've got to know they've thought through an ending on this. And yeah. it, so I, I I was actually very pleasantly surprised by this. Yeah, I really enjoyed it. I, yeah, I wasn't expecting much out of it, and they did a fantastic job with it. Yeah. I mean, like we said, all the characters are adhered to. They're the characters you love, the characters you want to interact. What else surprised you this week? Let's see here. Uh Nothing too much. I mean, I've read I read a bunch of books this week, but nothing. I mean, really, the one thing that stood out the best as far as being a surprise was Ghostbusters Transformers. Did you Flat. read Spawn? I did not read Spawn. Okay, I'm not a big Spawn fan, but I've taken it upon myself to read him because he's got a devout following. I mean, you cannot shake the people off of Spawn that are reading Spawn. I was actually, I very, I found myself actually interested in this story. I've read a bunch of Spawn in the past here and there, trying to give it a go, uh, trying to give it a shot, and just never, was never drawn into it. 
It was always too either over the top or we're too dark or we're too this or that. This is Spawn issue 298 and we're counting down to issue number 300 on it. And we've had a couple of requests to give a little bit of a background story to what we're reading here for people who uh, didn't know what was going on in the comic. The base outline on the first page of Spawn says the title of this is The Life and Deaths of Al, The Life and Deaths, plural, of Al Simmons. Part two, the history of Spawn continues as Al Simmons' war with heaven and hell is brought to light. They did a really really fine job with this. This is a really complicated story, but just in one issue, they made it very easy easy for you to follow, and it boasts above par artwork. Uh, the character's eyes are well done. The emotion that needs to get across in the artwork is communicated without being too dark or too overly dramatic. When I say overly dramatic, I'm thinking Spawn's cape being everywhere and the chains being everywhere. There is a lot of uh, social and political situations going on as part of Al Simmons coming out to the general public and broadcasting these interviews that's affecting the economy, the governments, and the uh, the ethereal, you know, his war against heaven and hell. And and they do this really, really well. So they've, uh, at least to the end of the story arc, and I'll, I'll go beyond it just to see where they go with it, I thought this book was pretty well done. Hmm. So I'd recommend that. Uh, one one thing that did stand out to me was Detective 1006. Did you read that one? I did not read Detective 1006. Okay, that one is by uh, Tomasi and I, I guess Hotz is how you pronounce his name, H-O-T-Z. Yeah. But it but it reminds me of the old style of Batman books where Kelly Jones would do the art. Yeah. In fact, the artist is a, a Kelly Jones clone to an extent. Now, he does not draw the, the very high six-foot-tall pointed ears. <laughs> but this, but also this goes back to sort of the Batman Dam. This issue is start of a new arc, and it has the Spectre in it. But it's sort of how Batman views the Spectre. Like, you know, I don't want you in my city because mm-hmm. I know when you show up, you're just going to murder everybody. <laughs> like, I don't want well, that. That is also well. like they go to a crime scene where and where Spectre's you know, murdered, pretty much destroyed a bunch of people. He goes like, you know, you've done all this to this these people and like you've completely screwed up the crime scene so there's no clues for me to go off of. Like it's a very, very well done issue but it's like a, but it's a throwback to the old Kelly Jones style stuff and the Spectre's in it and Corgan's in it and it's very, very well done. So Cor- uh, Corgan is the Spectre. Yes, he's, okay. he's the host. He's the host. And, and the plot seems to do something like this cult or something dressed up that dressed up as the Spectre have kidnapped Corgan and Spectre can't find them. So Spectre gets Batman's help because it happened in Gotham to go to go hunt him down. Mm-hmm. Okay, good. I'm a, I like the Spectre. I like the Spectre when he's done right. Does he do the right hand of God stuff? Does he claim he's the yeah, right yeah, hand? He, yeah. yeah, he mentions like, you know, like the stuff to Batman. He goes, I do what I do because that's my, that's who I am. God's vengeance and all this stuff. Yeah, all that's still in there. Yeah, I like I like that. I like it when he proclaims himself that, and then you know you can't judge me. I'll do whatever I want. And yeah. So I'll check that out too. All right. Now let's see. Did you read Age, or have you been reading any of the Age of X Men stuff? I have not. I just sort of tone sort of tuned all that out. Yeah, it's probably for the best. Extremists ends uh, ends today. Age of X Men extremists. 
And I've just got to say, I, I think you could have raised the intrigue level if you just had those X-Men, uh, the majority of the X-Men, just simply disappear. And in Uncanny X-Men say, oh, we assume they're dead because they're gone and carry on with Cyclops and Wolverine and let the tension mount over what happened to them rather than run this series of books. This has been disappointing. It's not something I look forward to reading. Any, yeah, I, I, I read, don't think there's any standouts. I read the first issue of all the Age of X stuff and I, like the the one shot that started or whatever, and and all the uncanny stuff beforehand. Yeah. And like it seemed, the issue ones were good ideas mm-hmm. that had no reason to be their own separate miniseries. Like Age of X just just should have been like one miniseries, a book, and you should have just thrown all that stuff together. Like yeah, none, none of this stuff needed issue upon issue for it at all. I'm I'm in a full agreement here, and all it's doing is serving to further mess up X-Men continuity. I, I mean, in the short span, like this week alone, you've got the X-Men, you've got X-Men showing up that shouldn't be where they are. Got Major X, and we'll talk about Major X at the end, but the X-Mansion's in place, all of the X-Men are there. And none of this is making sense, and it's supposed to be a canon book. It's supposed to be in sync with everything else, because, as we know, the only X-Men that are left are a handful of new mutants, multiple man, Cyclops, and Wolverine running around out there dealing with the disappearance of the majority of the mutants. Yeah, which is, Hick- you know, Hickman, you know, they're stopping the whole line again for Hickman. Yeah. And, like, he made it, like, he tweeted this week, this X-Men continuity stuff's just an absolute mess. Like, uh, that's he good. Had to I'm write, glad he, that- and he had to pretty much write notes for himself and you know and other people about don't call everything an omega mutant. Yeah, you've got God knows how many omega level mutants running around, and there's actually Magneto should be an omega level mutant. Charles there, Xavier. Very, there, there should be no omega mutant level mutants that are not either part of like a, a brotherhood of evil mutants or or the X Men themselves. There should really you should there should be about six at the most. Yeah. I'll buy that. I'm really glad somebody at Marvel is acknowledging this. Uh, so you said he tweeted that, you know, the X-Men continuity is messed up. He's yeah, making his, up. his tweet. Okay, here it is. X-Men continuity is some nonsense. There are no rules here. There is no order, just random unconnected gibberish. I just wrote 500 words on when someone can and cannot utter the phrase Omega level. And the last bit is this is a job I have in the United States of America. <laughs> Well, I like him. <laughs> yeah. I mean, he, he does. He takes he takes particular time and care to tell a story arc. I mean, he will build to it. He will recognize the characters, their flaws, what makes people like them, what makes people hate them, and where they work in the whole scheme of things. You can see that from the Ultimate Universe work he did all the way up through Secret Wars. One, one thing I like about the way he writes, and some people hate it because he does, you know, he's a long-form writer. Yeah, is that I can't I can't compartmentalize his run entirely in like four to six issue arcs because he doesn't write that way. No, no, he you doesn't. Know, he may you know it may be issue three and this one plot point gets resolved here, but the other plot point doesn't get resolved till seven, and then somewhere like around issue five, this new thing comes up that doesn't get done till issue nine. You know, it's like it's not like it's not a choppy run. It's very sort of. You know, it's got a flow to it. Yeah. Just so long as he has the wherewithal to get the X-Men back together. As I said before, I'm okay with what's going on in Uncanny X-Men, uh, X-Men, so long as 
that's the only thing I'm reading. But when I read this other stuff going on out here, I mean, Wolverine, Wolverine's with the X-Men and Uncanny X-Men, but for some reason, Wolverine's in uh, the middle of Manhattan during War of Realms with the rest of the Avengers, while the X-Men are right over here where we left them at the beginning of War of Realms. And, uh, you know, and then you got Wolverine and Storm and everybody that should be gone popping up in Major X, which, again, we'll get to at the end of the podcast. Yeah. And I just, X-Men, the X-Men deserve better than this. And I think they're going to get better with Hickman. So the only, only thing I, I don't want Hickman to do, because so many writers do this same stunt, is that, well, it turned out Professor X did this horrible thing in the past. So oh, many yeah. so many writers have used that to where at this point it's just, uh, surely he was at, at some point in time, Professor X will, is going to be in one of the Nazis that was in the concentration camp, Magneto. That Magneto. That's what we're getting to on the long enough timeline. No, no. They, they wouldn't do that. Uh, <laughs> okay. Uh, did you read Dr. Strange at all? I did. I really liked that book. You know, Galactus has had a very busy few months here. <laughs> yeah. I always, I always like the Galactus level situations that come about and, there's there's a novelty to him and Dormammu tying up or engaging with each other, but the artwork the artwork looks straight like it was coming out of an early '90s late '80s comic book, which is not necessarily bad. It just gave it that feel to me. And the Kitson, the Kit, Kitson did the art on it, didn't he? Uh, I don't know. I think the art was Kitson with with someone cleaning it up. Well, that would explain why it looks like late '80s early '90s, wouldn't it? Yeah, I, th- I think he's on art. Yeah, you're right. Kitson did do the art on this. Mark Wade and uh, Kitson are the storytellers on it. The opening page says, When Galactus, the devourer of worlds, was threatening his planet, a sorcerer named Zolaz stole some of the doc- some of Doctor Strange's powerful artifacts and banished Galactus to the mystic realms. Strange, knowing the danger, arrived too late to stop Galactus from ingesting a strange planet, changing Galactus to his core. Basically, Galactus is infusing science and magic, and it's affecting all reality. And there's a line in there, Albert, and I wanted to ask you this, where Tony Stark, it just flashes to Reed Richards and Tony Stark, busy at their computers, looking down at something very seriously, and Tony Stark says, science itself is being rewritten. So tell me, Albert, exactly which app is it that informs us when that happens? I don't know, man. (laughs) I understand bringing Reed and Tony in as the two masters of science in the Marvel Universe to emphasize, look, they're being affected by it. It it harkens back to when Jean Grey turns into Dark Phoenix outside of the Hellfire Club and Spider-Man's Spidey Sense goes on and Doctor Strange looks up from his bookshelf and, you know, that sort of thing. I I get it. It's an important event. And that's driven home by all the surrounding heroes and mystics that Strange has gathered together to go face the now combined force of Yeah, Doctor Strange to me is like a, a good version of Justice League Dark. Yeah, I can see that. I can see that. It's delves into high concept. It's like I've said about Superman. If you if you're having trouble writing Superman, do what Grant Morrison does. Give him Superman level things to deal with. And yeah. this is definitely a Doctor Strange level situation to deal with. And I think Mark Wade handles that real well. It's entertaining and it's fun. I, I thought so. And again, it's reminiscent. It really does feel like I'm, you know, late 80s, early 90s reading this concept and everything the art's fine in it uh the story's fine in it and you said what you said you've really been enjoying it yeah uh, yeah the 
the, that run's been pretty good. I, for the most part, there, there's some misses here and there, like most of Wade's Avengers run I didn't care for. But usually, most of the time, when Wade writes something, I enjoy it. Well, yeah, I, I enjoyed Mark Wade as well. My favorite stuff was his Captain America stuff before the Heroes Reborn. Yeah, that stuff was real good. That and I mean, everybody stuff. goes, yeah, everybody goes to Kingdom Come. And yeah, naturally, yes, we all love Kingdom Come, but the Captain America stuff, that was, that was really well done. And I'm a big Doctor Doom fan and Mark Wade wrote this interaction between Captain America and that situation and Doctor Doom, he wrote it real well. And he's just a very gifted individual. He's, he should be one of the, and I think he is, he's Marvel's standard go-to guy. And I think he should be for DC as well. I, I'd like to get a few more DC stories out of it. It seems like Wade can only work for like one company at a time. I mean, he was he ran the Archie stuff for a little bit. And I, Lord, maybe he still does. I don't know. But when it comes to Marvel and DC, he just sort of yeah, it was like gets Jeff upset. Love. I mean, he doesn't have some John Byrne level fallout with anybody, but he just sort of he gets tired of something over here, so he goes next door. Then after a while, he'll go to the other place, and it's just sort of a back and forth thing. Hey, that was that was a good statement. Let's dress it up and say Bernian level proportions. <laughs> From now on, whenever somebody whenever somebody has a falling out with one of the companies, it's a burn uh, Bernian level proportion event. <laughs> you know, or you do it like do it on the John Byrne scale. Yeah, the John Byrne scale. Was this a Byrne like, level on one? the far end was John Byrne, where this person's going to only be allowed to do Star Trek comments for the rest of their life. okay we look forward to the letter from john byrne after this a couple of things that i read and i'm just going to run them by you here and if you've read them you chime in if you haven't read them that's okay they're just one-liners bad luck chuck did not read that Uh, i read the entire series largely it's forgettable it even ends with the opening to the a team i i think they're being funny the art it's not bad art, but it's kind of go-to art, and it also looks like it could be any one of 20 other independent or image books being published at the time. You, you'd have a lot of trouble distinguishing this art from somebody else's art using the same style. The uh, other title I read was Life, and, Life is Strange. The characters appear kind of flat. I think they would be a little more interesting with a little more detail to their eyes. There's nothing dynamic that draws you into this. And it's kind of, you know, it's soap operatic with some superpowers mixed in. Did you read Friendly Neighborhood Spider-Man? No, I read Amazing, but not Friendly Neighborhood yet. Uh, Okay. You know, Friendly Neighborhood was a decent Spidey story. Nothing horrendous at stake. It's just very much standard Spidey fare. What'd you think of Amazing? I really liked Amazing. I like that they... They covered Mysterio a good bit in it. To this day, I don't know how he how he came back to life from blowing his head off. Well, they addressed it without addressing it. They acknowledged well, that he shot himself. At one point in time, someone just wrote it off as like, eh, you're an illusionist and you faked it. Yeah. But, I, but sometimes they sort of go back on that and they're like, well, I don't know how he came back or whatever. But that, I, but that whole story arc, that that uh, Kevin Smith Daredevil arc with Joe Casada arc was that was that was not a good arc anyway, and like there's ooh. no there's really no need to reference that regardless of the book. There, there's a lot of people out there that might disagree with that, Albert. <laughs> Are you one of them? <laughs> 
I enjoyed it at the time. I thought it was really well done at the time. And then the ending and they actually, I was going to ask you this. Did you, did I read Amazing Spider-Man right? Did somebody kind of take a mild shot at Kevin Smith's Daredevil run in it? When there's a scene where Mysterio is in his bubble and he's laying on a couch talking to a psychiatrist and the psychiatrist asks him about, you know, but you killed yourself. You, you know, you blew your head off. How did that work? And he said he started giving the reasons why he did it. And he said and it was completely original. It's completely original. And if anybody from the Craven estate wants to sue me, they're more than welcome to put me on the stand. <laughs> Yeah, the the Craven the Craven uh, joke was really good. Yeah. But for the most part, there I mean, it was mostly just hey, Spider Man had a dream where he saw a guy or a, a loose vision where he saw this guy coming after him, and apparently Mysterio's had the same guy coming after him too, and then he finally shows up. Well, I don't think this was a dream. I think that was I think that was actually real. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's all real. I don't I don't know how much the Mysterio stuff's supposed to be real yet at this point in time. Yeah, Spider Man. Technically, been- he's dead again. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, right off the bat, Spider-Man's getting psychic backlash from this, and this ties into the previous Craven storyline where he had flashes of MJ dying or being uh, being severely injured, and he's having trouble sleeping and all this. This is, I, I'm really enjoying this. They're doing a great job with Amazing Spider-Man. Yeah, I bet, I bet the new mystery villain, they, they give him a name, but I don't remember what the name is, but it's, it's just like a placeholder name. Yeah. I, I'd put my... I ain't going to say I put money on it, but it's probably Spider-Side. <laughs> Spider-Side. Yeah, he okay. was like, he was, he was back there. He was like some dumb clone that was designed by the Jackal to, to just want to kill everybody, to kill the other clones plus Mary Jane or something like that. But yes, Spider-Side was a real stupid character. It seems like this could be him. Spider-Side. All yeah. right, here we go. Did you read Fantastic Four? Yes. Yeah, I did read Fantastic Four issue 11. It was a nice standalone character development issue. Uh, it yep. was family. It did. It took a break from all the saving the world stuff in order to build the relationship between the family and give a couple of lines here and there to show how everybody relates to everybody. I thought it was cute. I thought it was funny. And I'm interested in seeing what Dr. Doom's got up his sleeve with the Galactus irradiated rocks he's finding in Latveria. Yeah. I, I appreciate, I really do appreciate that Dan Slott is showing that the people of Latveria love Doom, genuinely love Doom, not because they're under threat of death to do so, but they they just genuinely look at him as their protector and savior. And too many people go the easy way out that he's a despot and uh, the people are forced to love him. But I always much preferred the Stan and Jack and John Byrne take on that because I like Doom. (laughs) Yeah, well, Doom's, I mean, Doom is a... Not necessarily a one of a kind character, but he's that old, like Ming the Merciless style character. Yeah, he's he's the end game of all that. The final, yeah. the final version of that style character is Doctor Doom. Yeah, I agree. There's with nothing that. on the other side of Doctor Doom. Yeah, this is where that particular character arc comes to rest. Yeah. So I, I very much enjoy that. All right, let's get on to what Miss Aaron's son has done this week. Avengers, you and I, I either on the first or second second podcast, we both said something about the way She-Hulk was. And lo and behold, the Avengers issue we get this week deals directly with that. I think the issue is that it, it doesn't make sense character-wise because even in the book itself, She-Hulk admitted that when she was running around this this attractive woman that looked good in a bathing suit and was a lawyer and all that, like 
or you know, like the old John Byrne stuff and whatnot, that she liked it. But I think now they just sort of view it as that, like, we don't want to sexualize this character, so the only way we know not to do it is to make is to make her just this big, almost like a bulked up square version of it. I Visually, think that's, like you know, that's sort of like they took it as far from way as possible. I think that's kind of insulting at the same time. Yeah, and I didn't know whether or not to be personally offended. I had that Joe Jusco poster of She-Hulk hanging on my wall when yeah. I was a teenager. Well, the thing is, like you know, Dan Slott had that was the chopped up in the two two runs I remember. You know, but Dan Slott had a, a fantastic run of She-Hulk. Yeah, she wasn't like a sexualized character in that, but she was still She-Hulk, the lawyer, and it was a funny book and it did a lot of fourth wall you know even daredevil daredevil deadpool mentioned in this book that you know you used to be me yeah no she really was why can't you just be me yeah that was the and john byrne again we've mentioned john byrne more than the quota calls for in this podcast but john byrne was the one that started that she she broke the fourth wall in Burns She-Hulk book. Yeah. And, you know, and most of the stuff that uh, Jason Aaron references in Avengers concerning She-Hulk came from the Burn era. Uh, the uh, Even referencing, please don't Google it, the Fantastic Four. When I was a member of Fantastic Four, the Sleazoid tried to blackmail me with pictures and so on and so forth. And it, it was it was really... Well, there's an old pinup of of her where that's what it is like she's on the she's laying on a beach towel and she's got a, a bottom on but she doesn't have a top on like you don't that see was, anything because it's from her back but yeah. that's sort of i think that's pretty much a direct reference to that i think no that's the the issue uh that's how that issue opens and basically this guy that looks like a cross between hugh hefner and stan lee has hired a helicopter to fly over the baxter building and uh when they you know fly over the baxter building they're close enough that winds from the helicopter cause she hulk to flip over and all of her stuff blowing away and he gets pictures and the way out of it was that nobody told the publisher that the pictures were of a green woman and so they color corrected them and somehow that made it all okay yeah and you know it ends with johnny storm saying i have a pair i'll be right back can i borrow this i have a pair of green tinted sunglasses and you know and this is just typical john byrne stuff i want to ask you do you think that something similar to that would get published today not by marvel no i don't think anything like that with their main characters would fly today at all yeah i don't think so either but at the same time i don't think we have to turn she hulk into a monstrous savage hulk and i think they're kind of backing away from that if you look at the cover to the next issue she looks a little more she still looks wild but she looks a little more tamed you know her muscles are are more acceptable size and such i think it's kind of insulting to the character and the way they're explaining it in this issue i think jason aaron does a fine job of walking or dealing with this issue by saying okay she wants to she wants the okay to have emotions outside of i'm funny i'm cute i'm entertaining she wants the permission to feel ugly to feel like a monster yeah and i i thought that was a, i thought that was a nice statement i thought that was very well handled and i just would prefer them to kind of walk her back she was it's not that she was a female comic book superhero with a sense of humor it's that she was a superhero with a sense of humor yeah and there's there's not enough of those flying around. You either get Deadpool, who is just completely and totally out there and nothing's off limits, or you get the well-reined-in Johnny Storm, you know, at one time I may have been funny kind of humor. It's nice to have superheroes that enjoy themselves. They're 
too few and far between. Everybody has a tragic background story. Everybody's been killed and come back to life 45 times. Jen Walters was somebody that enjoyed what she was doing. And I don't want that taken away. I, I think we need more of that. It gives a it gives a good balance to the heroes that are dealing with all this internal debate, tragedy in the background stories. I've, I'm still enjoying Jason Aaron's Avengers. I thought he handled this real well. And I'm curious to see what he's got after War of Realms, which we're going into right now. So you read War of Realms number six, right? Yep, I did. The conclusion. Yes, yeah, it's a pretty good story overall. I really like. I did too. It was it was very enjoyable. It had a precise ending. There's not a lot of things dangling out there. Of course, they set you up at the end by mentioning something about Carnage, which is their next big event. Yeah, it seems like they're doing an Omega issue. Yeah, which is like a. A not issue seven but it really is and that it seems like that's what that is that's going to set up the the king thor book and the set up is the, the valkyrie book that all that stuff will be in that little that little omega one off is what that'll be what absolutely ruined and there's got to be a comparison here between war of realms and the last major crossover asgardian thor event was fear itself what absolutely ruined fear itself was those three tagged on issues at the end of it that redid every major occurrence that just happened in that book like bucky's death they immediately retconned bucky's death they immediately fixed odin somehow went and miraculously turned all the people that were uh, had been turned to stone in paris back into flesh and blood they took anything that had any consequence in that book and they fixed it in these three post fear itself issues that weren't even initially scheduled i don't get the sense that there's going to be anything like that with the what'd you call it war of realms omega yeah yeah, yeah this yeah this this is I mean he's doing King Thor but this was the end of of most of what Jason Aaron had been resolving so there's nothing really to do anything. Look, I have I really enjoyed Jason Aaron's run on Thor. There were a couple of slow moments in the run like anybody that's going to be on a book that long is going to have. But so far as this, he stuck the ending on this. Yes, this was this was really good. Job. In addition to in addition to that, Jason Aaron also wrote the quote that beats out. Let's see, what was the other quote I had that beats out the quote? Science itself is being rewritten. rewritten. My favorite quote of the week comes from Jason Aaron: "Flaming God flesh." Yeah, <laughs> he's a god. And he's on fire. How can I write this? <laughs> it works. It works. Everything about it works. He brought the Thor Trinity back together, uh, the same one he started off with in the God Bomb or God War storyline. Yeah, the and, three Thors. Yeah. Yeah. Now, I got a question. Would you take this more to the individual character of uh, that we speak of here, or do you think that all superheroes are this flip? I mean, immediately, it ends, and not two minutes later, Wolverine invites Frank to go get a beer. I mean, screw cleanup. Screw body counts. Let's go. Let's go have a few drinks, Frank. Now, Frank, of course, walks off from him because Frank has no sense of humor and is not the least little bit entertaining. And someone, and someone somewhere needs shot. He's just the man to do it. So, yeah, that's it. I'm taking advantage of this. There's people that are in dire straits I could kill. But does Wolverine is Wolverine one of these individuals that just shows up for the fight and? You know, the rest of you can clean up the body parts and everything. I'm going to. Yeah, and it's it's a good way to sort of just write him out of it. Like he's just had this big thing happen. Here's here's some panels with Wolverine in it because he's Wolverine and we can just move him on to the next thing. 
Uh, that's it. That's it. And the now we've got All Father Thor coming soon as a PX exclusive action figure. Yeah. So uh, yeah, I I'm happy with this ending and. I very much have enjoyed, like I said, I've enjoyed him on uh, on Thor since he started. How many years has it been? Has it been six years, seven years? God, it's, it's has been, it been close that long? to it. It's been a long time. A couple of other things I read. I read Deadly Class. I Every now and again, I pick up an issue, and then I go away from it. And all I get from it is, if Edgy was a comic book, it'd be Deadly Class. Yeah. It's, yeah if you like Deadly Class, that's great. It's just, I'm, I'm seeing similar situations played out over, I think we're up to like 40 issues now, 38 issues or so. Nothing much to, I don't have anything much to say there. Are there any independents or anything else that you've read that you can think of before we start coming to the end here? I mean, there's a, there's a few other ones, but nothing nothing really major. Flash 73 came out, and they're doing a Flash Year 1 story. Yeah. If, if you want a good Flash Year 1 origin story, read that. Okay, Flash. Star Wars Galaxy's Edge came out. It's the advertisement comic for the new Disney World theme park. It has Hondo Anaka in it, and it manages to connect Black Spire Outpost, which is the name of the theme park area, to all three trilogies in one issue. I was fairly impressed with that. It's not the best Star Wars book out there, but it's highly entertaining. And if you're going to the theme park, I suggest you read it. There's a couple of little winks and nods and hints you could pick up in it uh, if you're going to go visit either the theme park at Disneyland or Disney World. Disney World opens in August. Disneyland uh, has already opened and I think has started to accept the general public without without limitations on time. Uh, Star Wars Age of Rebellion focuses on Darth Vader and it was just another good Darth Vader story. It's just a one-shot beginning middle and end a little Darth Vader story so if you're a Darth Vader fan pick that up I, I know you had to read this Kiss the End no I didn't I didn't even know it came out well when I just saw the title I thought it was an instruction manual but it turns yeah. out <laughs> it turns out it's just Jim Simmons wants some more money <laughs> he always wants some more money I don't, I, I went all the way through that book and I mean it's there's not much reading to it uh, there's a bunch of Kiss lyrics in it and you know, some demon is after some girl for something and somehow Kiss figures into it. There you go. Uh, and I am going to say this. I'm going to go out of my way to say this. The Crow has a crossover with Hack Slash. I'm not a big Hack Slash fan. I like the original Crow, but I think it's in bad taste to open any Crow book post-Brandon Lee with the close-up of a gun barrel. Yeah, like, and I've, you know, when it came to The Crow, I liked, I liked the first movie. Yeah, I, I did see too. it. I, I, ne- I, I, I never even cared for the original comic. The original comic was dark and edgy. And at the time the original comic came out, I was, you know, 15, 16. So it was teen angsty. You know, it was that it was that goth aspect of it. And there it was interesting for about a year. It was the movie that got me interested in The Crow as well. Well, it's the influence, like the original book influence. You know, it's like the, the real the real goth emo music of the time. Yeah, yeah, Where the movie got rid of that and replaced it with the Seattle music and the grunge music. They, yeah. they took that and made that into a movie. Yeah, and... You know, I, I saw that in the first the first Crow comic book I picked up in God knows how long, and I opened the page, and in the first two panels, it's the close-up of a gun barrel. And naturally, I immediately thought of Brandon Lee. And you can't tell me that the writer of this is not aware of that, or that didn't cross their minds, because they make Police Academy references in this. Yeah. Now, come on, Albert. Is anybody under the age of 25 going to get a Police Academy reference? 
I don't think anyone below the age of 35 would get a police academy reference. Yeah, I think you're right cuz you never see these replayed. You never it, it's it's a played out situation. Even when uh even when Seth MacFarlane references something from Police Academy, he goes out of his way to explain the joke. I I just did not care for that. I did read the rest of the book and you know, I'm not a big hack slash fan. Uh this is a different crow. Eh. eh I don't think it's worth your money. I really yeah. don't. And another one I'm going to go out of my way to say stay away from is Antarctic Press's horror comics. I I don't know who put the money up for this book. If you just want to see how not to do a comic book, that would be it. Now, having said all that, so Albert, did you read Major X number six? <laughs> uh, Major X has the best line of the week is in Major X. Is it better than Flaming God Flesh? It's, it's when that stupid dragon thing's flying around the air and he goes, and Wolverine goes, that is one savage dragon. <laughs> I forgot about that. <laughs> Ladies and, that is, and gentlemen. And that is the only remotely amusing part of that whole comic is, is that line. Ladies and gentlemen, Rob Liefeld. <laughs> I don't, and I don't remember the plot of this book at all. Well... I, it turns out Major X is Storm and Cable's son. From, a, from an alternate timeline future, whatever. You know. Yeah, and, and I'd like for you just to name one other time to me that Storm has ever said the words, my liege, to anybody. And she does it to Namor in this. Yeah, that, I, don't, I don't know. I, I am just, I don't even think she ever called Black Panther uh, T'Challa my liege. And of course, once again... Jean Grey is more important than anyone can imagine. Yeah. Again, yeah. See, see, Grant Morrison had the right idea to kill her off. <laughs> and, keep her, and they kept her dead for a long time. Yes, they did. It's because she... everything's got to be like, well, it's all about Jean. All about Jean constantly. Uh, Jean and Cyclops. Jean and Cyclops' uh, offsprings and so on and so forth. I, it's just... Uh, oh, and the opening two pages of Deadpool, that was really stagnant dialogue. I don't even know if you can call it dialogue. It, it just really did not flow. It really didn't sound like Deadpool. It, it felt like I was reading what some 10th grader thought Deadpool might say, if you had just vaguely yeah. described Deadpool to him. It just wasn't funny at all. And of course, you've got old man Namor in this. Boy, he just keeps popping up everywhere, doesn't he? Yeah. <laughs> See, I'm wondering about the Deadpool thing. Since Rob is co-creator of of Deadpool, it's like he has his he has his own voice for Deadpool. Yeah, and that's just what he writes. Now he, that's bad either way, but but the way he views Deadpool isn't how he's written in other books. Let's reference back to was it Uncanny X Force where they were all in black? Wolverine yeah. led them back during the Gillen X Men age. Deadpool Deadpool wasn't being written in that book like he's being written elsewhere but there's enough of him there that you can recognize him as the same character yeah he he was toned down and they sort of made him the moral compass or center of that book was deadpool yeah yeah which was which was really and if anyone wants to read some of my some of my favorite x-men comics it is rick remender's uncanny x-force which was what we're talking about and if you've never read that but like x-men or, or good comics in general you need to read 
Rick Remender's Uncanny X-Force. Yeah, that really does stand out. But uh, they went into it well, and they ended it well. But it still stands alone. And yeah, I highly recommend uh, uh, Remender's X-Force as well. I don't necessarily recommend Major X unless you're just a big Liefeld fan. Again, I appreciate Liefeld's following and what he's managed to accomplish. It, this just didn't do it for me at all. Yeah, I don't I don't appreciate his following at all. Because <laughs> they keep giving that man money. He keeps making more stuff. I, I'm going to ask you to remember that at some point we're going to set up a Patreon. <laughs> <laughs> Well, they're not going to give us money because they're too busy keeping <laughs> life failed up. I don't know what to say, Albert. I'm going to go over my list one more well, like, time. Well, what's, like, what's the plot of this comic? I don't know what the plot is. Well, the plot of this comic was they came back in time to stop Namor from destroying the past situation that'll cause the destruction yeah. of something called Extension. Which some, sounds, yeah, something like it's yeah, that sounds like a stupid X Men thing. Well, it well, no, I mean it it it's called X letter X tension, and yeah, does that does that not sound like one of these pills targeted toward middle aged men? <laughs> Do you think they uh they go through a dictionary to where at the end of the E's where that's all the E X words and they just and they just have a list and they've cut the E's off all those words and they're like we have to use all these words in X Men but sometime or another. They may be doing it for copyright purposes. <laughs> they need a they need a, a Stephen King's It X Men crossover and just call it X It. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Well, let me see. Did this cover everything, Albert? Are we are we done really making a mess of things this week? Well, they finally they they finally took Vertigo out behind the shed and put it out of its misery. That's exactly right. I meant to talk to you about that. Uh, yep. Vertigo. It, it's not the same when it first appeared. I mean, Sandman was it, uh, Animal Man first, but Animal Man was not a Vertigo title. It's considered Vertigo now, but it was not when yeah. it debuted. But then Sandman came along, and you had a series of wonderful successes with this line. I understand that Joe Hill is coming in to oversee or help with a horror line for DC Comics. They're calling it, I think, a pop-up line. Yeah. And I think that's sort of what, what you will see a lot of from DC. Yeah. It's, well, they'll, they'll let people come in and sort of be sort of a pseudo-editor for a few books that are sort of tied together thematically or something, and then that just sort of goes, then once the books are done, that's that's sort of it for that line. You know, Young Animals was sort of them doing like a 90s-style Vertigo thing modernized. Yeah. You know, they're letting Warren Ellis do his sort of little mini Wildstorm line. We're getting more of that stuff, and this is this is sort of part of that. It's not meant to replace Vertigo. It's just going to be there and going. It yeah. looks like they're trying whatever. I think their last-ditch effort to save Vertigo was to bring in all of those comics that were related to the Sandman universe and somehow tie in books of magic, tie in this, tie in that. They weren't doing real well. Well, they spent so many years coasting on Sandman. even they really after, did. Even after it finished, because... You know, for the longest, it was like we were getting into that era where trade paperbacks were just now start where they were starting to do like they hadn't quite got to the point where everything was a trade paperback. Yeah. You know, like it is now. So like for the longest, the, the big trade paperbacks were Sandman. You know, years after that book had finished, that's what stores sold a lot of on trade paperback was Sandman stuff. And I think the people that ran Vertigo 
like they sort of got off easy because their numbers looked good every month because they sold a bunch of Sandman trades and they still had stuff like Why the Last Man and Fables and 100 Bullets floating out there doing okay. People that ran Vertigo, they knew Neil Gaiman. And that just sort of gave them a free pass way longer than they needed to have a free pass. And in that process of them sort of losing their way once 100 Bullets, Why the Last Man, and Fables ended, Image had came in there and took all that creator stuff away from them. They really did. And I don't know what could have been done about that. They had Fables. They had Why the Last Man. They had, of course, the Sandman Legacy. These were outstanding books. And I know they kept trying to relaunch Animal Man under it and a couple of other titles, books imagine would pop back up and swamp and before swamp thing went back to new 52 yeah swamp thing pre new 52 they would every few years we would get some swamp thing book for for a while yeah it just i i think it's a shame but also at the same end if the market's not if there's not a market for it there's not much you can do there and image look image gives anybody a shot they really do if you've got a if you've got a story and an artist they're going to there's going to get you at least three issues yeah I mean, if it's readable, I can't imagine. I don't think Image likes to do trade paper uh, too many miniseries. They've they've laxed off, went easy on that. Yeah, but for a long time they uh, they were not doing a lot of miniseries, and I think that ultimately came down to they wanted full runs because Walking Dead sold a lot of trade paperbacks and was a long time running book. They didn't they didn't want one and done trade paperback runs. They wanted books that were three or four or five six deep. Yeah. They wanted things to have legs to move. Yeah. Now, now that's a little yeah. different. They, they've slacked on that considerably. Well, any other news out there? Seems to be about it. Uh, we got Zendaya's new movie coming out next week. Far From Home. Yeah, that's coming. We got to figure out when we need to go watch that. Okay. Well, I'm I'm going on Tuesday. Uh, you try to go on Tuesday, and we'll we'll try to have the podcast cast out for that like Wednesday. And then okay. we'll do, uh, that week's books also. So y'all have that to look forward to. And we are still working on character study. We're almost ready for it. And that's a little bit of an experiment. So we'll have to see how that goes. Albert, I think that's it. Uh, you happy with this? Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Okay. Well, say goodnight to the people, Albert. Good night to the people, Albert. <laughs> I'll talk to you later, man. Bye-bye. Take care. Thank you all once again for listening to the Kingdom Casts podcast. If you like us, please share with your friends and give us a five-star rating. That really helps us. Next week's going to be a busy week as we hope to have the Spider-Man Far From Home spoiler podcast for you on Wednesday or Thursday and possibly the first Kingdom Cast's character study out by Sunday. Don't hold me to that. We're working on it. If you have any questions you'd like us to address on the podcasts, please send them to Kingdom Cast's at gmail.com that's kingdom c-a-s-t-s at gmail.com we look forward to hearing from you again thank you for listening